What exactly is the New Testament church? Who comes together to make the church happen in society? These are the questions we shall investigate today during this session of Five Things Friday. Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jay and this is The Preacher's Corner. And on this Friday, we're going to be going over a basic connection with who and what the church is. And so hang tight with me as we go through this this session and rejoice in all that the Lord has put together known as His New Testament church, born under the new covenant that He established upon His birth and upon Himself as the chief cornerstone, which we'll see today, and, and separate wholly from the old covenant of Israel. In other words, the church and Israel are not the same thing. The church is not a modern-day Israel, and Israel has never been uh, abolished or done away with by God. His promises are eternal, and they still stand for Israel as well as the new covenant in Christ for the church and the blessings that they receive. So, we'll get a look at all of that today. Beforehand, let's go to the Lord and ask His blessing in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this day, for this time that we're able to, to intently study this particular subject. We ask your blessing upon it and your blessing upon us as we go through it. We ask that you will watch over us this Friday and, and bless us with the preparation for our hearts and Shabbat, for the blessing of the preparation of our, our weekend as a whole and we'll thank you and praise you for how you work in us, with us, and through us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so the question still stands. What exactly is the New Testament church? Well, to answer that, as we see here in the first point that I've got, and these notes, I do hope to be able to upload them to, to the Facebook page as a PDF document that you'd be able to open up on your devices as you'd be able to see them and also to be able to provide a link for a, for a download as well. So hopefully I'll be able to get that done uh, today even, uh, towards the end of this day. So just keep your eye open to see if you can see if that pops up and we'll get it taken care of for you. But what is the New Testament church? Well, the answer to this question is divided actually into two parts, which are stated as, as such. There's the church, and then there are the local church or local churches. Here are the differences between the two. The church, the church, is comprised of all those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord unto salvation and who have followed after Jesus unto baptism from the time of Jesus' first disciples unto this current day. This singular church is convened in heaven and will be complete upon the rapture at which time the church will be removed from the earth and a new era of time shall begin as concerning revelation and in, in the two tribulations uh, period and the the resurgence of the remnant at, that is promised of Israel in revelation chapter number 7 as well as the recognition of the martyred saints who will who will hear their message and believe in Jesus during the times of Antichrist and false prophet and be hunted and killed as recognized in Revelation chapter number 6 
on the fifth seal from verses 9 to 11, and also at the end of Revelation number 7, where it, it, it tells you about the where they go and what they do and where they serve as the martyred saints. And so you'll see that that this singular church is, is convened in heaven and will complete, be complete upon the rapture, at which time the church will be removed from the earth and a new era of time will begin. Local churches, on the other hand, in the second point, local churches are community entities that have existed since the going forth of the apostles and expanding the work of Jesus around the world. Local churches continue to do the work of exalting Jesus Christ within the, the communities they exist in and perform the function of being the hands and feet of Christ in the multitude of ministries which happen through them. They're filled with individuals who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior and who have been baptized entering into the service of the Lord. So it's very important to understand oftentimes when people talk about the church, there's two two entities that they're referring to. They're, one, they're referring to the church as that which is with Jesus that meets him in the clouds of the air, that is the collective whole of, of all those who, who are born-again, baptized believers that, that are gathered together in, in what is going to be the New Jerusalem or that beautiful city of God is recognized in, in Revelation chapter 21. And, and so that, that's the church <laughs> as a whole. But then there are churches. There are the local churches. There is the work that's being done on the earth today. And that work which Jesus carried through his disciples is what he said in, in John chapter number 13. And that, that greater works will we be able to do than even Jesus had the opportunity to do because we will be greater in number. Jesus being only one person can only reach so far, but those who enter into Christ all over the world today, numbering into the millions, are able to accomplish so much more. But they can't do it alone. One individual or, or even a mass of individuals that don't work with each other can only get so far. But a group of people coming together in any community can impact that community and its surrounding areas very powerfully. And that's the very purpose of that local church in, in the neighborhoods all around us, in in. In our communities, in this nation, these local churches exist. And, and the very purpose behind them as they began was is that, like Morgan's church, back in the day when, when you didn't have automobiles, you didn't have the ability to travel 100 miles in 15 minutes. You didn't, you didn't have the ability to, to even travel 20 miles in, in 5 or 10 minutes. These local churches were born because the, the, the small communities or the farmers that, that work together with a few fields would come together and they would, they would build the structure just like the log cabin that we're seeking to build just so that we can bring a monument of, of the history of our community so as to say that, look, right here on, on Morgan's Hill, the people that live around us would be, would be the, the, the only people that would gather together in this house and this house 
house was so important because those people had that that connection with each other through the church. Those people had that connection with with their community through the church. Those people were able to know who needed help, and they were able to come together and work together to be able to help others in 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 their struggles. And so the the local church was paramount to the work of Christ to the, the, the dissemination of the gospel, to the preaching of the gospel, to the, to the work done through the people so that others who, weren't, who didn't know God could come to know God by the gospel. I mean, the local church was, was necessary in that day. And by the way, it's not changed in its necessity for people's lives today. It's just people have have gotten more mobility. They've gotten the ability to go farther, do more. Uh, we're we're a richer society than we've ever been. We have more money than we know what to do with in in most occasions. And so God just takes a backseat. The local church gets forgotten. And, and the work of God in, in all of these small-town communities often gets, gets hindered, if not damaged or destroyed, because we've forsaken the local church. And what do we think that God is going to be pleased or displeased when we reach heaven? And, and there, right there in our, in our community was a church that we could have united with, built up, and, and really brought people together to know Jesus. But we forsook that house to go find the, the entertainment station, the big place, the, the marvelous uh, work, you know, where everybody's going, the latest, greatest, trendy, trendy place. And the local churches that are around you all suffered and ended up closing their doors and shutting. And, and the community ended up suffering and going into a poverty of soul, a poverty of heart, because the, no one was reaching them. They couldn't afford going to that mega place. They couldn't afford going to that big church. Their hope, the only hope that they could have had would be in that small community church that that no one paid attention to so why should they go no one cared about so why what difference would it make if i was there see all of that hinges on the local church and that's the one that's been forgotten the most and how sad it is because if 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 the people around this community actually engaged with this church instead of running around to all the multitudes of different places they wanted to go, then it could be an amazing place. And it is an amazing place with the people that do come. But how much more amazing could it be? Well, that's the that's the the division there between when people talk about the church is referring to. The, the multitudes that will be with Christ in, in the heavenlies uh, as, as concerning the New Jerusalem as compared to the local churches, which are right here in our own backyard. And oftentimes they're, they're used synonymously. They're used in conjunction to say, well, I'm a part of the church. And they're saying, well, I'm, I'm a member of the church in heaven, but I don't have nothing to do with the local church down here on earth because oftentimes you say, oh, yeah, I'm a part of the church. Well, which one do you go to? Oh, well, I um uh e r er, um right. So what what really makes you think that you're actually a part of that church in heaven if you're not even connected to any local body here on earth? Jesus said 
to his disciples in the gospel, if you're ashamed of me before man on earth, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And Jesus also said, why do you call me Lord in Matthew 6, 44, or Luke 6, 44? He said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I've commanded? And he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, understanding that the, that, that the day is approaching. We're going to have to meet him. All of these scriptures connected together is to say that you need to be active in your local church. And if you're listening to this today and you've been lollygagging about going to church or you've been you 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 just you got saved but you've never been baptized, you've never considered it important because salvation is enough. And by the way, salvation as concerning uh, heaven, salvation is enough. Jesus did the work. Baptism cannot save you. It cannot help you in your salvation. Jesus is sufficient. He's the only sacrifice offering that God has made for sin. But then baptism comes into play when Jesus would say in Matthew 28 as concerning the Great Commission, as teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. So baptism comes in and it becomes something important because Jesus commanded it to be done that wasn't a suggestion by Jesus. He commanded it to be done. This isn't because he, he, he imparted some power to water to be able to help cleanse your soul. Not the case at all. There are several religions that do teach that, that baptism is necessary, a necessary merit for grace, a necessary part of your salvation, but that's not what the Bible reveals at all. What the Bible reveals is that baptism is a mortar, and a mortar is applied to stones that are already alive. And we're going to be talking about that here in just a few minutes. And those stones that have come alive, that, that, that Jesus would put together in a community, he would bind them together in identity, and he would bind them together in service. And that's exactly what a church is. A church, a local church, is, is known by its identity, not the name over the door, but the people that attend it. It's known in identity, and it's known by its service. And, and each of those things are revealed through baptism. The identity of your connection with Jesus Christ as he himself went down into the water with John the Baptist and received baptism that was being done at the time. So that identifies us with Jesus, but also it commits us to Jesus. As we understand, baptism is not something that was foreign unto the Hebrew people, and that when John would come along baptizing in the River Jordan, that the Pharisees and the scribes and, and those guys would look at him and wonder what in the world this newfangled thing he was doing was. was. Baptism was a normal part of their society for the cleansing of their vessel, for the ceremonial washing of them, so that they would be sanctified to be able to serve God in their term. In other words, whenever the priest would, would change over, and that happened in a quarterly fashion, so whenever the priesthood would change over, the priest would all uh, get themselves into, into the, the bath house, and they would all... 
baptized. They would all ceremonially wash themselves from their head to their toe to, to be a people revealed as cleansed for their service to the Lord. And so this is something that the Hebrew people have been doing for, for centuries, for millennium. But why was John doing this to the common man? Why was John doing this to anybody who would come into that river repenting, crying out unto God, seeking forgiveness of their sins? Why was John doing that after they came to him? And by the way, John said, you're not coming in here to get washed by me unless you repent. In other words, it was necessary for repentance to have already taken place before John would even bother thinking about baptizing you. And that's the point of salvation is necessary, salvation, for you to obtain before or to have, rather, I talked about the difference between having salvation and obtaining that, that eternal glory that we were waiting on yesterday, but to be able to understand that you, you have salvation at your repentance, you enter into Christ there, and then as you climb into that water and you receive that baptism, not only are you identifying your death with Jesus' death in your new life in Christ, through the burial that takes place in the water, that's why we practice immersion, but also you're, you're, you're connecting to the submission to God's word in the service of your king, those two points. And so it's very important to be connected to your local church because the local church is where the work is going to be done for the local community. Certainly ought to be anyway. But the more people forsake the local church, the less it's going to have ability to be able to serve its community. And one thing I have noticed for certain is that these monster entities that are in the, the big cities or in the suburbs known as megachurches really aren't reaching out anywhere. They're glad to pull from the, the rural areas into them, but they're not really putting back out into the rural areas, not like what their local church could do. Seems like Satan had a great plan to me, and he did it through the church. So let's take a look at the church's beginnings. As we consider the church's beginnings now, Jesus Christ, we understand him, he is the chief cornerstone of the church, of what the what are the local churches existent today, as well as the church which exists in the throne room of God. Jesus Christ is the, is the corner of it all. He's what holds it all together, both in heaven and on earth. And the scripture of Ephesians chapter number 2 makes this revelation from verses 19 to 22, as the scripture says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We understand that, that from this scripture, Jesus formed the church from his disciples. And so it was a pretty interesting scenario where John the Baptist would be out there uh, 
putting the materials together that would ultimately be used by Jesus to build his church, much the same way as you found David between David the king and Solomon his son, you find that David was out there bringing all of the elements together necessary in order to be able to build the temple unto the Lord, but God never allowed David to complete the temple or to build the temple because David was known as a man that had bloody hands. Nevertheless, David, because he had such a heart for God and such a desire to build God a house, indeed he did raise a structure called the house of God, but it was not the temple because God wouldn't allow him to build the temple. And yet David gathered all the materials that were necessary together so that when his son Solomon would take on the throne, that God indeed would open the opportunity for David's son Solomon to be able to raise the temple. And so we find that John the Baptist comes on the scene, his father Zechariah, a priest offering incense before the altar of, of God, before the Holy of Holies, and and a beautiful family situation there. So John, being a, of the lineage of a priest, would himself also be a priest capable of bringing together all of the necessary elements that God would use to build his new house. And so Jesus comes in after John. And by the way, the chief cornerstone is also a part of the building. We understand that. So Jesus himself submits to John's baptism as revealed in Matthew chapter number three at the end of it. As revealed also in Luke chapter number three, we see Jesus submit himself to the baptism of John, thereby becoming the, the cornerstone of the whole foundation that would ultimately make the church grow and build. And so we see it happening there in Ephesians chapter number 2, as it says that he is the, the foundation cornerstone, but that also the apostles, those twelve which, would, which he would choose, and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures that he would teach and, and, and cause understanding to grow within these apostles for the purpose of being able to, one, complete the New Testament's writings, but two, also uh, make the surety of the church firm in its foundation by the law of God and, and by the recognition of the prophets and the prophecies that would be fulfilled as to, to ensure its connection for eternity, essentially, as being the church. And, and having been built on that foundation, they were, they were fitted together in, in order to grow into a holy temple unto the Lord. And their purpose is to be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wouldn't it be amazing if you'd come to church and be so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit of God because the people gathered together from week to week understanding why they were supposed to be there, understanding who they were worshiping, understanding what, what the importance of their existence truly was. And so that the Holy Spirit would, would be able to rejoice in the collective body. The Holy Spirit would be able to move within the collective body. The Holy Spirit would be able to, to, to come alive and bring the church alive. But oftentimes we don't really understand exactly why we're there. 
Oftentimes, it's because of what we've always done, so it's what we're going to do. Oftentimes, it's a, it's an honor of the memory of family members who dedicated their lives to that place. Even though I'm not dedicated to it, I still go to it because that's what they've done, so I want to honor them, and I'm just going to keep going. Oftentimes, it's, it's to be able to show myself as being approved under the community, show myself. Sometimes, it's to be able to make deals. Sometimes, it's to be able to, to sell a brand, uh, sell myself as brand or there's so many different reasons and a multitude of different thing, things that 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 people would use church for. I mean, look at politics today. Everybody's using the church as a means to be able to get a, a, a collective voter base. Uh, people are, are are testifying that they're they're members of church or that they're believers of God when when everything that they do much of what they have said and and everything that they project as believing is antichrist and yet still they will say i i am a member of this church or that church and i am a christian now they never say they believe in god they just claim christianity and claim being a member of a particular denomination or a particular church just so that they can have that voter base i mean it's embarrassing and the church buys it as as in the united states here the church buys it the people the people so want this candidate even though they they're an absolute wretch i mean that look the the election that we have in the united states today isn't even over yet it isn't going to be over because both sides are are definitely engaged in a war uh, for for the soul of the country without question and so it isn't going to be over both sides claim christianity and neither are acting as such both sides claim connection to the church but neither are are revealing that 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 truth both sides say they're christian Give me a break. So either side that actually moves into the White House, either side is still not going to be a good side. It's still going to be completely messed up because it's just false. It's just false. And the Christians of, of the United States, had they been true, this wouldn't even be an issue. If, if we would be true Christianity today, this wouldn't even be an issue. But Christians don't even understand what it means to be Christian today. And the church has certainly lost its, its path of what it's supposed to be doing for Jesus. The church thinks that it's supposed to be entertaining people from week to week instead of challenging people. The church now believes that that as long as people feel good about themselves and are happy, then we've done our job. Instead of bringing them to their knees and conviction and 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 being so connected to the Holy Ghost of God that it's it's overwhelming when you walk through the door and repentance is driving you to your knees and we don't see it. We don't see it happening. Because it's lost, Christianity's lost its way in America. It's lost its path. The church has become powerless in America because it's become more a place of entertainment for the purpose of becoming celebrities and making money than it is bringing people to the reality of where they belong before God on their knees. 
And so you see that Jesus formed the church from his disciples. And and this is recognized in Luke chapter number 6, as it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. In Matthew chapter number 10, in verse number 1, the scripture says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And so we find that Jesus also ordains his church. He he, he gives it direction. He gives it purpose. The scripture goes on to say, And he went up onto the mountain and called to himself those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. One of the very primary purposes of the church in, in its ordination is to go forth from their meeting place to preach. As found in Matthew chapter number 10, Verses 5 to 7, the scripture says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very important point that is made in Matthew chapter number 10 is that Jesus was never interested in reaching out to those who believe themselves to be healthy. Jesus was not interested in reaching out for those who believe themselves to be righteous already. Jesus sent his disciples and he himself went out to those who were the lost sheep. Being recognized as sheep is understanding that Jesus already knew where their estate would be. It's just the simple fact that they had not found their way to Jesus yet. And so it was necessary for us to take the gospel to whom Jesus would send us to, to proclaim that gospel to them so that they could realize their need for Jesus and as as sheep that are lost, be able to come back unto Christ, their great shepherd, and to the fold. And so it is necessary to realize that there is a great work that is needed to be done in the church today and and being sent out into the community that it exists for the purpose of being able to share the gospel. Whom God knows to be the sheep of of Christ would would be recognized as the gospel reaching their hearts and, and, and bringing them to a knowledge of their need for Jesus unto salvation. Those who who have already been who have already purposed in their heart to reject God, simply will reject God once more, and and off we go. But regardless, the church is ordained to take the message of the gospel into all the world and preach and teach the gospel to every creature. And so it is necessary for us once again to be engaged in the work of studying the Word of God so that we are a prepared people to be able to go into the communities, to be able to go into the places that we're at, our workplaces, our, our places of enjoyment, our places of leisure, our places on vacation, whatever it would be, always, first and foremost, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we may tell the whole world the reality 
of, of salvation in Christ. So we see that's the purpose, the ordination. But also, we find that the church, as in the local churches, are empowered by Jesus, as discovered in Acts chapter number 1, as it sets the stage here between verse 4 and verse 8. It says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. But you who shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Note the fact that the scripture here in verse number 8, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not within you, but upon you. And this is something that's very important to understand is concerning the church is the Holy Spirit's the most misunderstood entity in connection with the church as well as connection to salvation or anything else. A lot of people have an idea about the Holy Spirit. Whole doctrine are built upon the Holy Spirit. But the reality of what the Word of God shows us about the Spirit is a little bit different from a lot of those different teachings. And what we see here is that back in in the Gospel of John in chapter number 21, Jesus, when he enters in the upper room at the time where he's going to be revealing himself to Thomas, and, and Thomas is going to be freaking out at first, but then saying, my Lord and my God in his submission to his king, Jesus, he says that he breathes upon the apostles and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so these are already filled internally. They're already sealed and filled by the Holy Spirit. But this concept of the Holy Spirit coming upon them is, is the, the very point of the of the ordination of Jesus by the power of the Spirit for the church to be able to be empowered to go with this message that takes place in Acts chapter number 2. In other words, Acts chapter number 2 wasn't the second blessing of being uh, given the Holy Spirit 40 days after the salvation that they have obtained. That's not the case at all. Or 50 days, that would be the the time of Pentecost. Uh, But the reality of it is, is when when Jesus confirmed the power of the church to go forth with the message of the gospel, and the Holy Ghost came upon them, meaning that he rose up within them and, and, and spoke through them to the crowd that was existent. Not only that, but the, the Spirit of God opened the ears of all the crowd that was listening. One of the neat things about Acts chapter 2 is that there were several different nations recognized by the the people that were standing there listening to the 12 apostles as they were proclaiming proclaiming from the balcony of the upper room. But, But each of them said that they heard in their own language. Well, certainly it's impossible for the apostles... 12 in number, to be able to speak the multitude of dialects that that would be uh, to the people standing in the audience at all at, at one time. <laughs> you know, I, I can only speak English right now, and English is the only language that I know how to speak, and so this is the language that you're going to get because it's all I've got to be able to give. But it's entirely possible 
for the Holy Spirit where you're sitting right now to touch your ears in such a manner is that what I'm saying is understood by you in, in your language. For those that, that connect with us, like my brother Sylvester or this young lady, Elena uh, Banya, that, that, that got together with us just yesterday on the broadcast and began to follow the Preacher's Corner here. And by the way, thank you, ma'am. Dios le bendiga, Elena. I mean, Amen. But but we understand that that these folks will will speak a, a variation of Spanish and and may not understand as much English. Of course, Sylvester does quite well, and and I believe Elena also. But we we would find that that it is possible for the Holy Spirit to be able to open their ears to what I'm saying right now by His power, so that they could receive it in their language, understanding every single syllable, every single word I'm speaking, even to the sentence structure being being corrected to what they understand in their language, and the Holy Spirit can give them everything I'm saying right now to so that they understand even in their own language the holy spirit can do that because of of jesus's desire for their heart to be reached by the gospel and so all of those people in acts chapter 2 heard from their native tongue in the land of which they were born and it was possible because the spirit opened their ears to hear what was being said by those apostles so that they wouldn't miss the opportunity to be able to receive Jesus. But that came at the power of prayer and the ordination of God for the gospel to go out and the disciples' belief. As revealed, Acts chapter 2, verse number 1 through 5, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all filled with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Another recognition that I make about Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 to 5 here as well is, is let's say you've got Peter standing up and Peter proclaims in Hebrew um, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then as Peter sits down, James rises up and he begins to proclaim the same thing that Peter just said, but he proclaims it in Syrian a language that he most likely doesn't even know because he really hasn't branched out anywhere farther than Galilee. But nevertheless, he, he proclaims in Syrian. Now, James is, is in his heart, in, in his mind, he's speaking you know, Hebrew or he's speaking, he's speaking something of the nature, but, but what's coming out of his mouth is the Syrian dialect. And then when James is done, he sits down and, 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 and Matthew and and Levi, well, as Matthew, Matthew and and Simeon, the zealot, he gets up and and one is speaking Egyptian and the other is speaking in Portuguese. <laughs> now they think that they're speaking in say Hebrew. They think that they're speaking in Hebrew, but the reality of what's coming out of them from the mouth perspective is actually Portuguese or 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 whatever language, whatever language. Well, how is that possible? That's a question you're going to have to ask God. 
because I don't know. But one thing I can testify to is how quickly a person can begin to assimilate a language in a foreign country that they enter into, having never spoken the language before. How quickly they can actually learn certain phrases, certain points to that language to be able to communicate with people immediately about the love of God for them. Because God allows them the, the supernatural opportunity to be able to grab a hold of some of that language in order to be able to proclaim from their own lips the reality of God's love. That, that is entirely possible. I'm living proof. <laughs> that's entirely possible. That's, impo- that's entirely possible. As it would be said in Kirundi, Imana Iguedzagire. Amen. You know, God loves you. God loves you. And that's, that's if, if you didn't have any other message to be able to speak to a people, to be understood, that's a great message to start with. Imana. Iguetzgire. It's a great message to start with. Dios le bendiga. God bless you. God bless you. It, it, it starts there. And then God just just... Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit rises up. He just takes over, and there, there, there's no language you can't speak that the Holy Spirit doesn't know. There's no, there's no ability you you can't possess that the Holy Spirit can give you the, in the time that you need it in order to be able to be the faithful servants of the King. It's a powerful truth. Now, uh, I'm going to have to remember because I know that there was a section of Israel that I did not get a chance to cover. I've broken into half, and I just literally remembered that. I was so excited about going through the church that and I missed the other half of Israel. <laughs> I've got to correct that. But I'm going to have to stop now, and we're reaching the point of the particulars of the church concerning the day of worship of the church and concerning the ordinances of the church, of the baptism and and the the Seder, the Lord's Supper, the ordinances of the church, as as what separates the the church and and there there's several things that that I wanted to go through the who of the church. And and I'm not able to do that right now, but God willing, I will remember to remain connected to this as as on Fridays for the podcast here at four o'clock. We we only have a certain amount of time, but on Friday evenings, as we gather together at the church at six thirty, uh, I have two hours, and so I'm able to accomplish a whole lesson instead of the few you know the forty minutes that I try to keep on this broadcast. And so I've got to remember that though I completed it in in the classroom, I didn't complete it on the podcast. So that's that's a challenge that I'm working with and working through. So, but nevertheless, let's give God the praise for what He's done today. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing, for going over this information and being able to dig into the Word of God to see it, not because I taught about it, but because Your Word reveals it. And Father, the teaching connected to the revelation, that is, is worthy to be studied. If it was just my opinion alone, Lord, it would be worthless. But your word means everything. So let us be a people of the book, and let us rejoice in Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I look forward to being able to connect with you uh, next, this coming Monday, rather, as a rejoicing in, in 
finishing Mark chapter number 13, but also uh, I look forward to being able to see you on Sunday in the worship service in Morgan's church. Tune in. It'll be a, it, it'll be a great time. And aside from that, y'all just be blessed. Take care now.